So for those of you who are new, about um, maybe almost two years ago, Aaron and I started a podcast called Battle Ready, and it came out of a time when I was working through cancer and was writing The Last Arrow, and the last chapter of the book is called Battle Ready, and talking about the battle that we're all in in life. And Aaron had this idea of starting this conversation around the theme of battle ready. So I don't know if we've been doing it for a year. No, it's, it's been two, almost two years. two years now. Yeah. So we thought this morning we would just use that format and uh, have our first battle ready in Irvine, California, in Orange County. Yeah, it's awesome. Come on. And we wanted to talk about a very personal theme. And our, our, our general theme is fathers and sons, but, it, but really that's more of a metaphor. It's not, it's not just fathers and sons. It can be mo- mothers and daughters. It can be uh, human to human. Because what we really want to talk about is how, how to um, pass on values and how to um, engage in relationships where uh, faith can be passed on in a healthy way. And we wanted to talk about it from our own personal journey together as a dad and son and pull back the curtain a little bit. So... Um, some of it is always a little bit um, tenuous. I think one of the first times I heard Aaron just really share so transparently and honestly was in Sweden. Uh, there was an event in, was it in Copenhagen? That's in Denmark. Denmark, uh, sorry, yeah, I knew that. And uh, um, where were we? It could have been in both. I think it was in Sweden, though. Yeah. Yeah. They invited um, the sons and daughters of pastors from all over Europe to come and to have a conversation with Aaron and I about their own journey in faith and in the church. And it's amazing how you could have a room full of people so hurt, so wounded, and so torn because probably the deepest, darkest feelings they have were toward the church. And at the same time, the greatest affection and love and hope they had was for the church. And, and frankly, as a dad, it was really painful to hear Aaron share so transparently and honestly some of his own feelings and some of his own journey. And so we want to talk in a very honest and real way. I want to read a passage of scripture, and you might want to say something. So by the way, welcome to Battle Ready, and where we pull back the curtain on life and talk <laughs> yeah. about things that are, are actually you, real. You, do you, how uncomfortable are you to have a real conversation about this? Is it, are we good? We can do this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. Um, you know, it, like it used to be fun to just kind of spill the, the dirt on my life, and now it's less fun. Um, it's still fun for me. It's, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, because it's not your dirt. Um, no, no it, was, it was never fun for me, but it, it's actually um, different now. Yeah. Because Aaron began sharing a lot of his own personal journey while he was still in the middle of that journey and sharing a lot of the wounds while those wounds were still open. And we're in a different place where there's been so much healing in your life and so much growth and maturity in your life. And, and so it's kind of exciting to be at this place right now. Yeah, and, and a huge part too, when we took that last chapter and I read it, I was like, if you were, you know, this was the real conversation we were having then was if you died, there was still so much I didn't know and I needed to know. And so I, I asked, could you teach me out loud? And so a lot of this conversation is, I am not an equal. 
I am the I am the person in the room who is going to like pause the conversation and time out and ask a lot more questions. And and I think that posture the last year or two has healed so much of the resentment I've had towards church. And I think it's crazy how you change the way you position yourselves towards something and realize you've got to learn from it before you actually can really change it and build it. Mm-hmm. And it's changed my whole life. So I think we're going to do this. And I'm nervous. I came early and was like sweeping. And they're like, why are you here? And I was like, I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but I also remember early on when um, I found out that I had stage four and five cancer and they didn't know um, how the future would turn out. And, and Aaron came to me and he said, um, I don't want God to have to take you away for me to learn the lessons I need to learn. There's a particular verse I want to share. There's second... some more happy. I'm like, I'm going to cry now. And, uh, Wait, tell them the end though. Like you're cancer free. Oh, I lived. <laughs> <laughs> we forget sometimes. They're like, is your dad okay? Is he still dying? I know. No, I, I get fine. emails from all over the world, DMs. How are you? And I always forget to tell people. I, I assume it's obvious I lived. One, I just go, I, 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 I think that everyone should get that. But, uh, but I am cancer-free, and it's exciting. It took two years to go through the journey after six and a half hours of surgery. And, um, and just a few months ago, they declared me cancer-free, so I was really excited. And, and, um, okay. But, but I never felt like I was in bondage to cancer. And so the language is really odd to me when they say you're cancer-free. I'm like, I had cancer, but I was always cancer-free. Mm. And you have to decide whether you're free or a slave. Wow. Side note. Yeah. All right, so 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I think this is a, an important conversation. How many, I'm curious, are our parents? Raise your hand. Wow. See, this is the difference between Orange County and Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, you, you actually, you like humans. You, you thought having children would be a positive thing to do. And uh, in L.A., um, everybody loves dogs and, and cats and humans are way down the list. And um, so I'm, I'm, I applaud you, having humans. That's awesome. How many of you, okay, not everyone's a parent. How many of you um, are, are a child? That's a true question. It's everyone, okay? And uh, all right. So <laughs> in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, I'm reading from the uh, Good News translation because I like the, um, just the, the warmth of it. It says, as for you, my son, and this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, as for you, my son, be strong to the grace that is ours in union with Christ Jesus. Take the teachings you have heard me proclaim in the presence of many witnesses and entrust them to reliable people who will be able to teach others also. And this is why I think this applies to all of us. First of all, uh, Paul, as far as we know, did not have any kids. So Timothy was not his biological son. And so you don't have to have children to take the role of a parent. You can actually take on the posture of a person who builds into another human being's life and helps them have a future and a hope. And so I love the fact that Paul calls Timothy his son and that they have this unique relationship. And anyone who has kind of like read the Bible or listened to it a little bit knows that the Bible has odd relationships between fathers and sons especially. And, and so you have, you know, a King Saul whose son Jonathan should become king, but he doesn't become king, but David becomes king. And so David becomes the heir of, of Saul's kingdom. 
You have um, Eli, who's a priest whose sons go um, renegade and become really destructive and, and godless. And so um, what should have been passed on that priesthood from father to son was passed from Eli to Samuel. And so God gave Eli, in a sense, another son. And, and you see this throughout the scriptures where um, God wants us to pass things on to our children. But at the same time, he wants us to realize that, that there are other children that God wants us to pass things on to. And a huge part of our relationship, one, I'm just going to be straight up, Aaron is the first child that I ever had. And so I had no experience. And so I would say to Kim, he's just an experiment. <laughs> and, uh, because we don't know what we're doing. And, uh, and Kim and I both come from broken homes. How, how many of you, I'm, I, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm just kind of curious. How many of you come from a, a kind of a broken home or a divided family? Just kind of curious. All right, a lot of us. And, uh, and so Kim was an orphan. She was abandoned when she was eight years old, left in a government project starving. Uh, social services found her and her brothers and sisters. And so she was raised in, in a foster home from the age of eight to 18. And, um, and then I'm from El Salvador. I never knew my real father. Uh, my grandparents raised me for the first few years and my mom came back and got us and took us to the United States. And mom remarried a guy who had an alias who, because he had a... His income came from creative underground economies. And uh, so I'm raised in that environment. So when Kim and I get married, we're basically two significantly broken people being married. And our parts, you know how everybody wants, like, tries to make this elegant. Oh, all of our broken pieces fit perfectly, didn't. There are a lot of jagged edges there, and they're not always pointing inward. Sometimes they're pointing outward. And so can you imagine being two people who really never experienced healthy marriage or family, now trying to have a healthy marriage and family? And it would be easy to say, oh, well, now we have Jesus. It all works out great. Isn't that what you experienced? Because like once you have Jesus, you know all the secrets of parenting. <laughs> and somebody's been lying to you if that's true. So we have Aaron, but before Aaron, we have um, a foster daughter, yeah. Patty, um, who was an eagle. At that time, she was an undocumented alien. Back then, she was illegal. Now she's undocumented. It's changed. And, uh, and one day, Kim said to me on Sunday, uh, Patty doesn't have a place to live. Bring her home. So I brought her home on Sunday, and she stayed 12 years. And, uh, and, and we put her in kindergarten through 12th grade in the first three years of her life with us. And Aaron was born with a sister who did not speak English, and she did not want to speak Spanish to him because she was trying to learn English. So Aaron grew up learning broken English. He couldn't speak Spanish, and he could not speak English. And, uh, and so that was a part of the trauma of our journey. And, uh, and so now we're trying to pass on to our son these values that we've learned as adults. And, and I think it's so important when he says, take the teachings that you've heard me proclaim in the presence of any witness. And, and this is the word that I told you that... that both of us really liked and entrust them to reliable or faithful people. And I look at the journey, I think God entrusted us with Aaron. And if you're a parent, you do not own your child. There are laws against that. And your child has been entrusted to you. And what I think is really odd is a lot of times parents who are Christians act as if their children are their possessions. 
And they either try to control their children and force a legalism on them, which causes them to rebel later in life. And they cannot figure out why their kids went off to college and hated everything they tried to teach them. Or you try to uh, possess them and you place your entire value system on their success. It's almost as if your kid's job is to live out the dreams you never lived. And I think it's really important to identify in this moment that your children are not your possessions. They are your entrustment. And and and, and the important notes I put uh, put down for myself is God entrusted Aaron to me. And then our journey was to try to entrust to him the values that God placed in us. And that that journey is not finished until he's pouring those values and entrusting them to others. Thoughts? Keep going. No, no, no. All right, so let's talk about how difficult that was. Yeah. (laughs) There's some stuff. So early on, when it was just a relationship, let's say, with me and your mom, it was easy to trust. Yeah, no, it was easy to trust. I think uh, I I had kind of written something down. One of my earliest memories, uh, three or four years old, when we first moved to Los Angeles, and I, I remember I used to have nightmares because one of the first, I think, weeks that we were here, the Northridge earthquake happened. So for like a decade, I had this nightmare that like everything was shaking in my dreams. No, he had a nightmare that elves were jumping on his bed. <laughs> it was like a twisted Lord of the Rings movie in my head. And, and, a vivid imagination tormenting yeah. him. And then my dad's like, oh, it was because of the earthquake and you were a kid. And no, but I remember one of the earliest memories I had was you would pray, pray with me, to live by faith, to be known by love, to be a voice of hope. Every single night. Every I single night you'd pray this prayer. And you were kind of embedding... Um, just this, this framework and this structure of who I was going to become as I grew older. And so really early on, I remember going, Dad, I believe in Jesus. And my dad's like, you don't know how to even like, do anything in life. You're three years old. You don't know how to believe in anything. And, and it was, you were actually tougher on me than I. I was like, Dad, I'm a Christian. He's like, no, you're not. I know. It's true. I, I, I resisted him at every step of the way. And uh, when he was three, he came to me and told me he was a Christian and I, I told him he didn't know what that meant yet. And uh, so I basically said, no, you're not. And, and then at four, he came to me and he said he wanted to be baptized. When could he be baptized? And I said, well, you have to become a follower of Jesus first. And he said, I am a Christian, but no one will believe me. And then, and then at five, we're sitting in the parking lot of the old building we used to have. And he said, Dad, that's your office right there, isn't it? And I said, uh, yes. And he goes, because you're the pastor of the church. And I said, uh-huh. He goes, but one day that'll be my office. <laughs> he was already planning to take over. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and, um, and the first prayer, I ever remember Aaron praying when he was five, because uh, up to then I would pray for him. And his, the first prayer he ever prayed was, Jesus, make me a leader of men. So there was something real there, but that real got lost along the way. Oh, I was going to really hang in like the cute, cuddly four to seven years old of my life. All right, stay there for a minute. <laughs> but, no, but I remember being really young going, it was simple for me. I loved my dad and my dad loved me and he loved Jesus and he talked about it constantly. So it was easy for me to connect the dots to go, if he loves Jesus, I don't fully understand Jesus, but I understand love. I've received that love, and I wanted Jesus. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think some, and, and, then, and then I met other humans who love Jesus, you know. Or, or said they love Jesus. Said they love Jesus in the church. And I think that became the harder part of the journey, right? Is that when, when we don't just, uh, when, you, when you have a one-on-one relationship with Jesus or a one-on-two where you're like, you've got your, your, your close people, you've got your, you've got your bubble, you've got your family. But once you go outside of that, it really opens up for a lot of like potential damage, right? Like, it, like it, it, you, you kind of get to a place where other people can really put pressure and factors into how you believe and how you live your life and how you raise your kids or how you are raised. And one of the things that you did so well and so diligently was you never let anyone get in the way between you and me and me knowing you loved me. You would always tell me, hey, I love building this church, but if there's any point where this affects you too badly, tell me and I'll walk away and I'll go do something else. And, and I remember that you always made it family over everything. And you're like, I love God. I know I'm called to this. But he's like, I, I don't have to work for a church to be called to breach people for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I grew up with this early kind of onset realization and belief that, that the church was never more important and the legalism was never more important. The traditions were never more important than his relationship with me. And I think so often, like as, as, as whether it's parents or kids or friends, we can get so caught up in is this person in the right season for this moment? And we say no for other people before they can actually be here and, and say yes mm-hmm. to a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with his church, right? Yeah. You know, you're like, I don't, is this, is this making this yeah, make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and I think one of the easiest things for me was to realize that like, okay, my dad puts our relationship under Jesus, under his wife, but above others. And how can I be a part of that relationship? And so I remember growing up going, when it got tough, you know, it got tough, 17, 16 to 18, you were seemed, you, you were kind of deemed really controversial. Me? Yes, you. <laughs> yes, yes, you. Wow, why am I fighting about this now? And, uh, yes, so, there, there was a season. There was a season. And, and it lasts like 20 years. Yeah, and you said stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's been super fun growing up as a son. Um, <laughs> And, no, it really has. And, and you know, I, I knew you as just being my dad. Yeah. And I knew that there was always church stuff and there's always people stuff and people can be tough and people can complain and people can gossip. And, and, but for the most part, because you went in, you, took, you, brought, you were kind of implanted into a church that already existed and you kind of built mosaic out of that church. Out of like kind of a really old, indoctrinated, um, super traditional, super inner city, you know, really in the ghetto. And you created something very creative, very powerful, very beautiful, and very um, evangelistic in bringing new people to Jesus. And so I was a part of all of that transition where it was a really unsafe environment. Yeah. And unsafe meaning whenever there's an ideological change, a shift in someone's faith or, or perception, it's hard for people to understand that. It's amazing how mad people can get over an idea. Like you think about that. I think one thing. Or a belief. Yeah, yeah. I, when I was a kid, I remember he, he took out some of the chairs and he put like a couch there. And I mean, people were enraged, outraged. Yeah. And now it's like, it's, that was normal things that people do in different churches. They didn't do all that back then. Though. No, and you, like, you had a painter on stage and they're like, what is that? Yeah. I also had him in the in building. In the audience. And, and yeah, yeah, you just brought, you brought art to church and you, mm-hmm. and you really believe these things. And so for, for me to watch someone shift a culture was beautiful. And then I went to the outside world and I went to college. And I went to a Christian college and it was a Baptist college. And I'm and, so sorry. I know. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, like, they're Christians. Like, they love Jesus. I love Jesus. And they would love me. They'll be good. They'll love dad. Dad's great. I love dad. Everybody will love dad. Um, and it didn't work out that way. 
<laughs> and like any good, you know, first day of college, my dad spoke to the entire school. All right, so, like, so that was a bad idea, all right? But the, the, the so president just, of the university asked me to do the convocation at the beginning of the year for yeah, all the yeah. students and professors. Yeah, which and, I thought was like, oh, cool. I'm day one, I'm like top of the ladder. Food chain, my dad spoke at conference. Day like, two. <laughs> day two, it came out that like all of the theological professors, or not all of them, just one theological professor, theology professor, didn't like your theology and the way you saw God. And he was your teacher. He wasn't my teacher. He was the, all of the guy. I, I was put on the same dorm floor as all of the theology students. So day two, all of these guys are in my room going like, defend your dad's points. And I'm like, Go, you can call him. <laughs> and, I, and I was just going, I'm still figuring this out for myself. And in kind of a series of events, it, and you were getting death threats. You were getting, you were getting, there, it was a really hard time. Yeah, I think in, when you were faith. 16... I was 18 at 18, that point. 18, when there was a website that was built yeah. that they were going to kill me at a particular time. Yeah. And your mom, my wife, freaked out, called the police, and I guess they called, I don't know, the FBI. and They called the FBI. Yes, and it was a legitimate uh, threat. Christians were going to kill me because they disagreed with my theology. Yeah. Which is kind of odd, right? You know, it just seems so unlike Jesus, but uh, I don't know. And uh, maybe my theology is off on this point, <laughs> you know. No, but, but like looking back now, th- those, were the, those were the things that really refined my faith because it, it kind of drew the line in the sand where it, it was no longer me being the son of my dad, the son of someone who believed so strongly for both of us. It was now my own journey where I had to step out of my family's home and go, what are the things that you're going to, what are the things you're willing to, to, to fight for? What are the beliefs you're willing to, to be out loud with? Does that make sense? Well, and, and, I, and a lot of it was, I copped out for two years. I said, he believes what he believes. You want to deal with it, you can email him. <laughs> and, and I moved to, and I was like, I was tough. I was wild. I was, was, was out a lot and, and hanging with people I shouldn't have been hanging with and lived a different lifestyle. You should have been hanging with them. You, should, should, you just shouldn't have been doing what they were doing. Sorry, it's your side Super note. great. <laughs> Super great. He's still parenting. Um, I'm 31 now. Uh, but, it, but it really, like, it created something in me where I had walked away. And it was worse. I still believed everything. I believed Jesus was the Son of God. I believed in God. I believed loving, loving Jesus, giving my life was, was the, the way and the, the, the truth, and, and then I walked away from it all, which I think is worse, because I think so many people just don't ever have the chance to hear God, mm-hmm. and, and I heard him, and I said, yeah, I like you, God, but I don't like all the people that like you, and in so often, it's, it's, it's how you represent Jesus in different spaces. And that's exactly what entrusting values is about, because if you meet one person who believes, let's say, in Jesus, and they're an awesome person, you go, oh, that's an awesome person. But when you meet a community of people who love Jesus and they're awesome, then you go, oh, God must be doing something. Really, the, the true expression of who Jesus is is only revealed most powerfully in community. And that's the challenge sometimes is that you have people who love Jesus and in isolated forms they seem awesome. And then they come together and they form a church that's dogmatic, condemning, judgmental, and against creativity and uniqueness. And it's, it, it wars against the message of the individual. Because I, 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 I look back and I go, 
where did we make our critical mistakes? And I go, one, we put you in a Christian school. And, um, you know, we didn't know that was a mistake. I wasn't necessarily for that, but I went ahead and, and, and agreed. And while you were in the Christian school, it was a hard time for you because you met people who were supposed to be Christians who lived really antagonistic, mean, destructive lives. And so the contradiction was really hard for you. It was really hard. But I remember he came to me and he said, I can't join Mosaic. And because everybody, if you grew up in Mosaic, you're not automatically like, quote, a member. You have to decide that this is your community when you're like 16. And so he came to me and said, I can't join Mosaic. And I said, why? He goes, it's the fifth core value. One, I was excited he was reading the core values, you know. And I said, why that one? Creativity is the natural result of spirituality. He goes, I went to a Christian school. They're spiritual, and they were the least creative people I'd ever met in my life. And I said, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, I understand what you're saying. But the first one says love is the context for all mission. Now, if you come to Jesus, you've been transformed by love, but you may still not be loving, right? Love may be something you're growing in. But we never come to a place to go, okay, love can't be real. Well, if you come to Jesus, you may not be living a creative life, but I still believe that you're inherently creative because you're created by creative God. But the problem is that the church can actually become judgmental instead of loving, and the church can become conforming rather than creative. But a part of the dilemma is that Aaron crashed into a Christianity that violated the essence of who Jesus was. And so then you actually develop an antagonistic response to Jesus because the only Jesus you see is the church. Because that's how you experience Jesus. And I think that's a part of what you were struggling through. It was definitely, that was definitely the thing I was struggling through. I think looking back at it, realizing it had, had less to do with that core value of, of, of Christians being creative and more with being, you know, when, now looking back, you know, I was a kid, looking back and going, they went to Christian school because the parents wanted them to become like Jesus yeah. with, with great values. But we're all in the process and we all have those moments. And I think I was, I had a tough time because I was like, I was with people who didn't love, who didn't love people. And that was the hardest thing for me because I, I was so accepting early on in my life. But looking back, those 18 to 21 years old, was the, the, I, I tried to violate the three core values that you had instilled in me, that to live by faith, to be known by love, to be a voice of hope. I was so pessimistic. I was so unloving and unkind. And I, and I refused to live in faith. I tried to control everything in my life. And I think sometimes we can naturally do that in our own humanity, is rebel against the things that are set us free. Right? Because I, I, realizing, looking back, going to love people is to be the most free. To be generous in love and expecting nothing in return is to be the most free. To, to instill hope and bring hope to situations and to, to places is the most like Jesus. He's always bringing hope. And then to live by faith, to live not by my own control, but into a releasing of freedom, going, God, if you're going to do something with my life, do it. And I'm going to keep working and keep waiting, keep building. And, 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 I, and, I, and I realized that, that you were an incredible parent because you created spaces for me where I was always your son, even though I wasn't necessarily like you're, you're, you're a follower of your, of your teachings in, in church. I wasn't like a part of your church, but I was a part of your tribe. And you created a business when I was 19 years old and said, hey, why don't you come work for me 
and come be in this space. And, and looking back, I was like, why did you start that business? You were writing huge books and you're traveling over the world, you're speaking to stadiums. Why did you do that? And you were like, I created a space where me and you could be together and I knew you hated church, so I was gonna find a space where me and you could, could, could still work together and have the closeness of our relationship because anybody knows we're super close. Mm-hmm. And so it was really tough because you're also like super in the church and I was very anti the church and you were very for me. And I loved that even though I was against the things you were for, you never let me be against you. And you never let, and you never turned uh, my resentment to what you were building to, to, to bitterness towards me. You were always creating new spaces for me. You were always going, hey, you were always inviting me to church. Looking back, I was like, <laughs> he made every excuse and reason to just go, hey, you know, you can come. I'll save you a seat. You can be there. I love you. You can leave after the worship because it makes you feel, or leave before the worship because I know it makes you feel super uncomfortable. Um, you were always creating spaces. And can you talk a little bit about those things? Why yeah. you did it, how you did it. Yeah, and I don't think this is just true for like a pastor's son. I think this is true so oftentimes just for all of our kids. I don't know why, but other people want other people's kids to be perfect. You know what a brat is? A brat is someone else's kid. All right? Your kid is just creative. Your kid is just independent. Your kid is unique. You're, look, look how, look, look how he's just, he's just so incredible at throwing that temper tantrum. That just, that's just his own way of self-expression. But if, it's someone, right, but if it's someone else's kid, it's like, what's wrong with that kid? He needs to be medicated. He should be. I remember one time I was getting off this plane, and this man looked at this woman and said, your child is so well-behaved. She goes, he's not well-behaved. He was asleep. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, and I, and I, I, I felt like people wanted Aaron to be asleep, to never be allowed to be what a two-year-old look like, what an eight-year-old looks like, what a 12-year-old looks like, what a 15-year-old looks like. And, and I felt like I wanted to protect his space to disagree, his space to not believe, his space to mess up his life. I wanted to protect his space to figure life out. And if you don't create the oxygen in the room for people in your life to figure things out, you'll suffocate them out of your life. And I don't think we do that just to our kids. I think we do it to our friends who, who don't believe in God, who maybe aren't sure about faith, who are, who are going through the worst time in their life. I, mean, when, I, I think a lot of Christians are terrified of telling their friends that they're struggling in their marriage, that they're not doing well in life, because they'll lose the friends they have if they don't live up to the standards that they're expected to live at. And I, and I feel like there has to be enough room. And so for me with Aaron, I'm like, one, because people ask me, hey, you stopped writing books, you stopped speaking and stuff. I said, yeah, there's, a lot of people can write books, a lot of people can speak, but my son only gets one option for a dad, and that's me. And so it's clear to me this is the principal role of my life, is to be a husband and a parent. And everything else has to find a way to revolve around that universe. And, and then when you look at, I have friends who, um, they just haven't come to Jesus yet. And it's taken them a long time, and they're not showing me any progress. 
<laughs> you know? And it'd be really easy for me to go, oh, well, then they're not like worth my time. But that's the problem is that if people are your project, they're never going to sense the authenticity of your love. You have to come to a place where you give people space to be themselves regardless of who they are. And, um, and so I never loved Aaron less when he was less lovable. And you were less lovable, you know, or at least less likable. And um, Thank you so much. <laughs> but you know what? He never um, disavowed me as his father when I wasn't as a good enough dad. And, uh, and, I, and I feel like there have to be relationships in life where you go, you, you, have, to, you have to give your parents grace to be imperfect parents. And you have to give your kids grace to be imperfect kids. And a huge part of the dilemma in parenting, and I'll just say from this end, is like a lot of you may be really hurt because your parents were not what you hoped they would be. And the problem is that most of us don't even know how to have meaningful relationships. So if you have an adult human being who doesn't know how to have meaningful friendships, and then they have kids, the same lack of skills of knowing how to have human relationships, you're actually applying to raising a human being. And so one of the things I would say as an adult is it's really important to learn how to have adult relationships, how to have meaningful friendships, how to have people in your life who can speak into your life when you're not doing well. You have to be able to receive critique. You have to be able to work through conflict. You have to learn how to um, value the relationships through the hard times, or you won't know how to be a good parent. Because parenting is a relational skill. It's not an organizational skill. I think a lot of parents think parenting is organizational. I am the authority, you're the subject. Now do what I tell you. Parenting is a relational skill. You have to keep learning how to reform the relationship as that little human grows emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, mentally, and, and at each phase of the way, you have to re-earn that relationship. Yeah. And, and, and we'll bring up my mom, because she is awesome. But she grew up in a really tough situation. And so, like, you know, what, what was the saying? Like, you know, I walked 5,000 miles in the snow to go to school. Like, don't complain about getting on a school bus. Like, that was, like, actually my mom's life. So she was a farm girl who woke up at 4 a.m. to work the farm before she went to school and, and then had nothing and built everything and got a full ride to university and then got a master's degree and then was like an awesome mom and then was like working and doing church and an awesome mom. But she was also a really broken mom. And I remember being 18 and 19, we had like a blowout fight and, and I said, I don't like you anymore. And I never have. And I was really hurtful and, and she was really hurtful and we did not get along at all. Now, looking back, I realize, because I am her. We were butting heads. We, she, I work out from the same cloth. Me and her are so similar. We, we stand in our stubbornness, and we want to love the other person through like, how we see them, not how they are. And, and I said, but I know that I'm called to love you, so I'm going to love you, even though I don't know how to like you, and I'm going to learn to like you. And it was that moment in my stupidity and my like, arrogance that I think God really taught me something, because she stood and just took it. 
and it was like, I'm going to love you no matter what, because I'm 18 years into this. <laughs> I'm too deeply invested. <laughs> and, <laughs> and if you know anything about my mom, she's just so passionate. And I remember we, we talk about it now because we've really come a long way in our relationship, but she refused. You were the very, like, the freeing, I'm going to love you through it all. My mom was like God's conviction on my life. She's like, Aaron, I'm going to tell you exactly who you are, exactly what I don't like, and exactly what you need to change, but I'm still going to feed you. you <laughs> yeah, know? I'm still going to cook for you. I'm still going to cook for you. <laughs> we had so many blood arguments where she was just ripping me to shreds about like, my character and who I was and my lack of ability in certain aspects and who she expected me, me to be and how much privilege I came from. And, and yet she would still cook for me at the end of the day. And she would still go, I'm still going to feed you because I'm going to hope that this breaks through your heart. And she was so incredible at building a strength and a resilience in me because she never, she never refused to speak the truth. And she never refused to, to love me on the other side, even though she didn't like me at all. And the thing that I had said to her, I realized she had never probably really liked me that much because I was kind of a punk and I was unlikable. But she had always loved me through every season. And, and as a kid, I realized this, was that your parents don't know everything. They are doing the best they can with what they have. And, and it's on the moment you become cognitive of this, the moment you can understand this, and I say this to the youth too, the moment you realize that you can be your parents' best friend is that you can actually bring something to the table that makes their life a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. You actually can serve your parents in a way. And now I call my mom my old roommate. <laughs> and it's mostly a joke, but... Um, but it's, but it's Except because, that he comes home a lot. I come home a lot. Because <laughs> I, I, I tell them, like, you're my people. You're my best friends. I, I want to see you guys. I want to be in your life. And something happened, and I think it was that, that resilience, that willingness, willingness to, to, to never let me go, that in turn, when I was free enough to walk away, I was, realized the entire time I was so free to stay, mm-hmm. and that my true freedom was actually being right with the people that built me and, and loving them and building this church and loving the God that they loved and, and, and speaking into the next generation. I think for that, I realized every moment my mom refused to like give up on me and fight through those things was me becoming a little more likable and me becoming a little bit more loving. And I realized for me, it was so hard to accept love. And so looking back at it, for my mom, for someone who really had been abandoned, you know, that was someone, it was genuinely hard for her to accept love. That it was two people who were unwilling to let the other person love them and come together and go, okay, God loves us both and we're going to serve each other and love each other and build each other. It was a huge shift of like her helping me understand that I had to contribute something to this relationship. Mm-hmm. That, that, that as, as much as it is on the fathers to love their sons and build a world for them, the moment the son can, it's to help create that world, to help create that purpose and that value. And, and, you, and I just want to thank you because, you know, I went through a crazy season, but also I'm here and I love it. And I was, I, we call each other so much and we just go, we love life. And I, and I remember so many times where I couldn't imagine, I was like, were we even going to make it? And you're like, we're going to make it, buddy. We're going to make it. So this is like this, I think the, the biggest thing is that like, you were so resilient to never let me go. And, 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 and so many times you had to just let me walk away. And, 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 and in this verse, I'm going to bring the Bible in because I haven't talked about the Bible yet. In Matthew 12, you with me? You good? You here? In Matthew 12, there's a moment where it says, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
and and I love it because the, the, the Pharisees are following the disciples, and one of the disciples picks a grain of wheat, which means he, like, he goes to eat um, on the Sabbath, which they weren't you know, allowed to, 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 to harvest on that day. And so he was breaking the rules, and what Jesus does is he protects the disciples and says, they're doing nothing more than what you do in the temples. You, 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 take, you do stuff in the temples that, that the disciples are doing now in the, in, in the world. And they go, well, and they one-up him. They go, well, there's this man who's lame, and will you heal him? And he basically says, he stretches out his hand, and he heals the man, and he refuses to let anything get in the way between him and loving someone. And I love this when we're, especially when me and you get into our patterns, we, whenever we're in a routine, whenever in our pattern, whenever we're set in a tradition or locked into to, to, to a way of life, it's so easy for us to, to attack anything that comes in and breaks that structure. Does that make sense? Like, are any of you like, you're like that 5 a.m. wake up, work out, feed the kids, go to work, get home at 6 or 7 or 8, depending on how, you know, intense it is, and then, you know, go do the thing at 9, walk the dog, and then be in bed by 10. And, and we get in this place where we're like, we get so comfortable in our structure, and then we will violate that for each other. And I love this, that, that Jesus defends his disciples who are breaking the law, and then, he, so he creates that space for them. love when Jesus defends someone for breaking the law? <laughs> I love it because I'm like, because yeah. I, I was, the, I was them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was being protected in moments where I didn't fully understand and didn't fully respect. And you always brought both. You brought the wisdom of the law and, and the grace of, 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 of Jesus. You always said, okay, this is the why and, 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 and why this matters. And then this is where you're at and where you need to be. And I love that. And I, and I love the thing about Jesus that, that, he is un, that he is relentless about stretching out his hand. I just love that idea that he mm-hmm. stretches out his hand and heals someone who needs to be healed. He refuses to let anything that, that's structured get in the way of the spirit moving in him to reach the person furthest from him. Yeah, and I think the mistake a lot of churches make is that they love their traditions more than they love their children. Mm. And so the church never loses its traditions, but it loses all of its kids. And one of our passions at Mosaic is that we will never love tradition more than our children. We're always going to make the decisions that help our children have a life-changing encounter with Jesus yeah. and come to know him and grow in him. I'm going to read these two verses because I, I kind of like them. And um, in Ephesians 4, I mean 6 verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not make your children angry, but raise them with the training and teaching of the Lord. And I think it's so interesting that he actually gives this warning, do not make your kids mad. Mm. What he's actually saying is, don't force your faith on them in such a way that they feel imprisoned by your beliefs. In uh, Colossians 3.21, it says, parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you will crush their spirits. Mm. How come those passages aren't as popular as children honor your father and mother? Train up a child in the way it should go. Like, uh, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. Like, you know, it's amazing how we pick the ones we want, mm. right? And I think what's happened is we have a generation of Christians who have crushed their children's spirits. And then we wonder why they've run away from God. And he says, don't come down too hard on your kids because you'll crush them. And, and I think that the, 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 the healing solve is grace. And, and so we're looking at some practical things. The way you pass on values is you don't shove food down their throat. 
you make them hungry for what they need. And, and if you're forcing every aspect of faith on your kids, you're actually making them resistant to faith. You have to find experiences where there's joy and celebration and fun around Jesus and faith and, uh, and spirituality. And, uh, and you have to connect those dots together. You have to pull those things together. And, and that's one of our commitments here. I mean, it has to, church needs to be a place where people have joy, where people laugh, where there's celebration. You have to have times where you just have these kinds of conversations. It doesn't have to feel so structured and so formal that nothing really human ever seems to happen. Right. And, uh, and so what we're teaching here is really important. The donuts outside, also important. <laughs> Right? You know, the, the, the we fruit were, stand. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. We were outside. We were outside. And we met this awesome father and son. Yes. And, and, and the son goes, this is why I want to show up. Don't get emotional. Yet. No, Don't he play. goes, this Don't is why we should have come early. This is why. I wanted the donuts. <laughs> it was the donuts. And then we got to meet him, and it was so sweet and awesome. And we looked for donuts. We were trying to help you. I was like, I asked gone. one of our guys, said, Kev, can you go and try to find the donuts? No, no, no. Don't play it. Because uh, he makes it spiritual. It's about donuts. Um, <laughs> The, but, it, but you're, the point is the donuts are spiritual. Right. Um, but I told Kevin, I told one of our guys, I was like, Kevin, go see if there's any more donuts. I want to find donuts for the kid. And, and, and then and Kev goes, there's no more donuts. And I was like, dang it, I really wanted a donut. <laughs> and and we, we, we had this whole conversation with our kids team here. We're like, there's some of the, like, the coolest girls and coolest guys. And I was like, the one thing we want, if anything, is for those kids to leave going, we love Jesus. And we had so much fun. Yeah. And, and if anything else is lost, everything else is lost, it's just that they loved, uh, they loved having fun in a place where Jesus is loved. Yeah, I, we can get so focused on getting all the right information to people, yeah. all the right doctrines, all the right beliefs. And the truth is, the goal of the children's ministry is for those little kids to beg their parents to bring them back next week. <laughs> That's the goal to guilt you into returning. Because I know that the adults will come every other week, but those kids, they want to come every week, and, and I want them looking forward to it. I want them thinking all week long, I got to get back to Mosaic. And we want to see that in middle school. We want to see that in high school. And we want to see it with adults. Like, I actually look forward to church. I love coming together. I don't have to drive down to Orange County. I had so much fun last week. I wanted to be here this week. I, I, I miss getting to be here and experiencing this. And, and I think that's supposed to be the joy that happens, and, and that's how values are passed on. Values are passed on uh, with passion, not with legalism. They're passed on with joy, not with obligation. Yeah. Values are passed on through relationships and not rules. And if we want to pass on what Jesus passed on to us and entrust them to faithful people who will entrust them to other people, you have to realize that it's like a fire that's lit inside of you and then you light the fire next to you and if you become a person with passion and love if you're filled with joy and celebration you're going to pass it on to other people every single day i would pray for you not only that you would live by faith be known by love and be a voice of hope but i also pray that god would give you great dreams and that you would have the courage to pursue them and every night i pray god I pray that Aaron would have great dreams and the courage to pursue them. That's what I wanted to put into you. 
a belief that your world could be so big that there was room enough for God. God, that God would give you dreams so big they would crush you if you didn't trust in Jesus because those dreams would haunt you because they were supposed to be your life. And when you live by faith, you begin to inspire other people to take greater risks, to live a life of adventure, to live a life of faith. When you choose to be known by love, you begin to pass on that value of love and compassion and acceptance. When you begin to be a voice of hope, people want to be around you. If you're always pessimistic, if you're always negative, if you're always seeing the problems, no one's going to want to have conversations with you. But if you always see hope in people, if you always see a future for them, if you're always looking for the way forward, people are going to want to get around you because they need that oxygen for their souls. And that's my dream and our hope. And, and, um, and Aaron, that's why I love doing this together because it didn't come easy for you. And... Uh, I knew it was going to be hard for you from by the time you were three years old. You know, because you're laying in bed and you say to me, Dad, Daddy, how can I know if I love someone? Most three-year-olds are not thinking about whether they love someone. They just, they just say, I love you automatically. You're already wondering, like, how can I know if I love you? And, and I remember when you're maybe 12, we're, we're driving in the car and and you said, um, Dad, I, I think that if I were not raised in a Christian home, I would not be a Christian. It made me kind of nervous. And I said, why, why would you say that? And I just kept driving. And you said, well, I just have so many doubts and questions. I have so many doubts and questions. And I took a deep breath and I said, oh, doubts and questions. I have those. Those are okay. And then I got quiet and I said, so what are you going to do? And believe me, my heart was like, stopping and in my chest and I said so what are you going to do and he goes well I've met God so what can I do I said yeah I know what you mean like once you meet God what can you do and I, I think some people have like um, maybe they have this gift of faith and faith just comes super easy Mariah Mariah she just has this my gift little of faith. sister you have like the gift of doubt <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, but you see, I think that, that God creates us differently because I think there are thousands upon tens of thousands of people who are trapped in their doubt and can only be led to faith by someone who's journeyed through the doubt. You're actually really highly sensitive. People don't know that. Don't tell them. <laughs> and uh, so you also know what it feels like to have that pain and disappointment and that, that brokenness because you're an idealist. And so you thought the world would be loving. You thought the world would be compassionate. You thought that everyone was for everyone. You couldn't imagine a world where everyone wasn't for each other's good. And the reason you went through so much pain is because your idealism was crushed by reality. And I love the fact that now the reason we're in this conversation and talking through battle ready is that your idealism won. You decided, okay, the real world is not a world full of compassion and not a world where everyone's for everyone and a world full of haters and a world full of pain. And you decided, so I'm going to go be a part of creating a world full of compassion. I'm going to be a part of creating a world where everyone is for everyone. I'm going to be a part of creating a world where everyone has a place they belong. And I love the fact that you're a fighter 
and that you fight for love. And I want you to know as your dad in front of these people, I'm really proud of you. Thank you. Hey, guys, come here. Well, we're going we're gonna to close for two reasons. One, it's, we've gone past our time. And the second reason, I'm just going to start crying <laughs> profusely. But, um, but I, I think, I hope that this helps. And I hope that this starts a conversation because this is something, one, we love being in Orange County. We love being here in the school and we love being surrounded by families. And, and, and as a young person who, who isn't married yet and doesn't have kids, but has an LJ in my house, um, I, do, I do care about the next generation so much. And it's been instilled in me because I think I look at, the, the, whether it was the me or the, the LJs or the Matts or the, the, the next generation of leaders and young people, and I go, this is the future. And I'm 31 thinking about the five-year-old going, is that kid loving Jesus so much? Or is he knowing that Jesus loves him and when he's ready, he can choose him? And, and I think that is the thing you've postured in my heart more than anything is to be so focused on the next, the next generation, the next season, the, the, the future of what God is going to take us as a church here and with families. And, and we talk about it so much. You're like, I love coming to Orange County because you see what life in so many ways lacks in LA. And, and, and then you, you, you see how God really genuinely created a family in a beautiful space and how we can build that. And so I love it. I'm, I'm glad that we're here and I'm glad that we get to battle through these moments together. And I hope that our relationship on, on display can, can help families and, and help sons realize they don't have to run away. They can stay where they're at and fight through it. And that parents can have a little bit of encouragement to know just because you hate the kid right now, he could turn out to be great. <laughs> and that he will turn out to be great. And that surrounding with people in this place like Matt Pagans and our youth leader and, and these guys on this platform and all the amazing volunteers that they're going to love on your kid and, and really speak life into them and encourage them in a way that almost nowhere else in the world they will be spoken life into. And um, you want to lead us out. Yeah, I just hope you feel encouraged that you don't have to get it all right for it to turn out right. Yeah. And, and that um, God has an amazing way to work through all of our imperfection to get us where we need to go. Has this been helpful and encouraging today? I hope it has been, guys. And, so I want to pray. And I want to pray for all the families here, for everyone who's um, here, and maybe you're not with your family. Um, but I, I remember where we started. Paul called Timothy his son. And it wasn't because they were flesh and blood, but because they were heart and soul. And, uh, and we just want to relate to everyone in this place as if we're all family. Let's just build into each other. Let's pour into each other's lives. Let's care about each other. And, and let's just find a way to, to transmit this love and hope and faith that Jesus came to give us life to life, heart to heart, soul to soul, one person at a time. And I, I just have a sense that even across all of Orange County, there's a generation of young people who, um, who need to have that fire rekindled in their soul and that something really beautiful could come out of this place. Would you just bow your heads with me just for a moment? Maybe you're here today and you may know all about Jesus. Maybe you grew up in church or maybe you um, have had some kind of faith, but you know that 
you haven't really connected to Jesus in a personal and intimate way. And it could be that today's conversation between me and Aaron has opened you up and you thought, you know, I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my life in a personal way. I need Jesus to meet me here and to give me a future and a hope. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus or you've not crossed that line of faith and trusted Jesus with your life, I just want you to pray a simple prayer with me right now. It's just one sentence. It's not everything you and God need to talk about. It's just where you need to start. The prayer is simply this. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. Jesus, I give you my life. So if you're here and you know you need to connect to Jesus and you're ready to do that now, just whisper this prayer to him. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your desire, if this is your prayer, I want to pray for you specifically. And if that's you, I just want you just to hold your hand up right now and let me know, yeah, this is my prayer. I just whispered, Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you, just right now, just let me know. Just hold up your hand right now. Let me see you. Anyone else? Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you, God, for each person that's here. Whether a mother or daughter, a father or son, wherever they are in their life journey, I pray, God, that you would just wrap them up and let them know that you love them, that you created them with value, that they matter, that you have something amazing, amazing plan for their life. God, I, I pray that this would be a place where everyone knew that they have a future. That we would be pouring into people the love and the hope and the faith of Jesus in such a way that they would be overwhelmed and overflowing and pass it on and pour it into other people. I pray, God, that this place will be filled to capacity, standing room only, of people who have found the hope they've been searching for. And so my prayer, Father, for each person is that they would live by faith and be known by love and be a voice of hope, that you would give them great dreams and the courage to lift them. We thank you, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.